Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you on the last Sunday of the calendar year. Who is ready to put 2023 to bed? All right, good. Everyone have a good Christmas? Good, good. If you did not, which, you know, it's a thing, we do offer pastoral counseling here. Uh, I know the holidays are, are, are rough for a lot of folks, so uh, send an email. We'll hang out. Okay, here's the deal. Kids, for those of you who are in the room, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to say the word follow a number of times throughout this message today. And I've got some Skittles. These are share size, so make sure you share. Uh, and, and make sure you ask your parents if it's okay, uh, if you have them. But if you can tell me how many times I say the word follow in the course of this message, these are yours. Uh, it's already started. It's already started. It's already started, Adeline. So keep track from now. Follow, follow, follow. What? Yes, they do already count. So, so far, that's up to five. I'm giving you all now an equal footing, okay? So, what's the word we're using? All right, okay, okay. Uh, well, it seems like every time we get ready to close the books on the year that was, we, one of two things happen. Either we get a little bit of nostalgia going on, and we, uh, uh, you know, we look at the, all the photo essays in the supermarket checkout lines of 2023, kind of the year that was, or we start to take a little bit of inventory and start thinking about our lives and what we would like to change. It's fun to look back, but the thing about it is, is our text today is going to tell us we can't stay there. That's because Jesus is always calling us to move forward. With that, we have a reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And now, Almighty God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would open these words to us, your word, that it would not just be words on a page, but that we would hear, and by hearing, choose to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Early on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uh, emerges from the wilderness ready to begin his ministry. He comes upon some men who are pretty settled in their lives. Peter and uh, his brother Andrew, they own a home. Uh, Peter has a mother-in-law who lives with them, so presumably there were others. First century living situations were always a multi-generational affair. And when we meet them, they are out casting nets on the Sea of Galilee. There's also then James and his brother John. They're in a boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets. In other words, Mar Matthew is just setting the scene. This is an ordinary day. Fishing was in the family 
business. It was in their blood. The smell of the salt air, the, the, the feel of the nets on their hands, the, the salt air was in their lungs. This was the life they knew, and it was a pretty good life. And then Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And Matthew tells us that immediately they dropped their nets to follow him. Does this seem strange to anybody else? I've always read this story and I thought, just like that. They just, they just get up and go. Where are they going? How are they going to pay their bills? What about their jobs? How are they going to provide an income? What about, what about Zebedee and the boat? I mean, Peter has a mother-in-law, which presumably means that he has a wife, right? What is she supposed to do? Is she supposed to, to drop everything and follow as well? I mean, these are all the kind of questions that we would ask, right? But the way that Matthew tells the story, they don't even come up. Now, it wasn't like they were following Jesus because they were looking for salvation. That won't happen for a while later. It's not even clear that they know who Jesus is. They don't know that he is the word made flesh. That also won't come for a while. See, Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth, just a few miles to the southwest of the sea where Joseph took up as a tecton, which is the Greek word for a builder or a craftsman. So Jesus spent 30 years in relative obscurity in a small agricultural community, which is to say that God was on the planet for 30 years and nobody noticed. So it's not like these guys knew who Jesus was. But he does make a promise to them. He'll make them into fishermen who catch people. Follow me, in rabbinic speech, be, meant become my students, be apprenticed to me, join with my school, live with me, be with me, become like me, do what I do. This is the proposition that Jesus has for them. Discipleship was this immersive experience. Where it was this lived-in residency where one would learn how to do everything that the rabbi did, how he spoke, how he ate, his mannerisms. As one writer put it like this, a disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. It had been a couple months since we had a Dallas World quote. I just wanted to make sure you all knew that I was okay. <laughs> the strange thing about this Rabbi Jesus and the, the way that he practiced is that ordinarily, it would be the students or the, the would-be disciples that would come upon a rabbi and ask him if they could follow him. But Jesus goes about it the other way around. Just before this, Jesus is going out around all of Galilee, going into the synagogues and announcing that the season of God's reign, it is, it is here. What all of the world has been waiting for, what all of history has been building up to, it is present in this moment. It has arrived. And the very first thing he does after proclaiming this announcement is he goes into the neighboring areas and he starts to pull together a small community, a new society, a renewed Israel. People who were supposed to embody the best of what God had in mind. In other words, he's calling them to be at the forefront of the kingdom. And he's calling them to bring other people in. And this is something way bigger 
than the relative security of their job. He is calling them to reshape the world with him. And who doesn't want this? I mean, eventually you get to the point in life where you realize that fulfillment does not come from getting that promotion from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager. You're looking for more out of life. We all want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We want to do more than just catch more fish or land bigger deals or earn more promotions. We want to be part of this new world. We want to give ourselves over to what really matters. And Jesus is, is, is getting to the core of who we are. We are social animals. We are constructed to make a difference and make a mark in other people's lives. And Jesus promised it hits that mark. That's why they join after him. When I was a kid, my parents were really involved in this church for a few years. Uh, they had this Wednesday night program where we'd go and we would play games. We would memorize Bible verses. We would have snacks. Uh, and the adults would go to Bible study. Um, and I had a leader named Paul who I really connected with. And I found out that he worked at the church. Well, we stopped going to church altogether when I was 10 years old. Uh, when I was 18, I was going through a really rough patch in life. And so I went down to the church and I went to, to go see if I could talk to Pastor Paul, who, you know, on the off chance that he still worked there some eight years later. And when I went into the office, the person there said, you know, there's nobody here. There's no pastor here named Paul. There's never been a pastor here named Paul. So I was like, what are you talking about? I know the guy, he was here all the time. I tell you what it looked like. He had a handlebar mustache. Like, you don't forget that. He played guitar. And she looked at me like, hang on just a minute. So she walked away and I'm out there, you know, kind of like dying because I'm, my world is falling apart. And then all of a sudden, there he was. Paul shows up and, and he's there. And he's like, can I help you? And I started to just kind of like unload on him everything that was going on with me. And he said, hey, you sure you don't want to talk to one of the pastors? I'm the custodian here. <laughs> and I told him, no. I want to talk to that guy who cared about me when I was a kid. And I don't honestly remember anything that he said. The fact that he was willing to sit with me made all the difference in the world. Sometimes fishing for people looks like that. And maybe that's what Jesus is calling you to do. And maybe it's not with kids. Maybe it is. But maybe it's with your colleagues at work. You're here because someone, somewhere, made a difference in your life. At this point in Matthew's gospel, this is all that Jesus has promised, is that you will be somebody who catches other people. But the promise comes with a cost. He says you've got to be willing to follow him. And that means you're going to have to leave whatever is familiar behind you. These first disciples had to drop their nets if they were going to be part of this new world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it well on the cost of discipleship. He writes, the first step places the disciple in the situation where faith is possible. If he refuses to follow and stays behind, he does not learn how to believe. He who is called must go out of his situation in which he cannot believe into the situation with which faith is possible. 
The call frees him from all earthly ties and binds him to Jesus Christ alone. It has always been like that. It's always been a process of leaving something behind. For those of you who are not, you know, maybe younger than 18, imagine what it would be like if you never left your parents' home. If you never left what was familiar. Imagine, you know, never having that adventure that, that did happen when you left it. You just get a little bit older and a little bit wiser just from taking that step out of the house when you start out on the road. Maybe the wisdom comes a little bit later. The thing is, it, it, this isn't just a one and done thing in life. When, when Jesus says, follow me, and when it's him that you are following, life is this constant process of being led into new places. And because he is with us, we become more like him along the way. It's amazing, if you, if you read throughout the Bible, how much movement there is in its pages. Abraham and Sarah left their home to chase after this dream that God gave for them. Isaac and Jacob were then constantly on the move. It was when they settled in the land that they started to have all kinds of problems. And it's when they were on the move again that renewal started to begin. David was at his best when he was being chased by Saul. His greatest sins happened when he stopped moving and he settled down. And Jesus was always on the road. He, he had these amazing things that always happened to people that he met along the way. The church began when he appeared to disciples who were in a locked room and he sent them out of there on their way. In the book of Acts and the letters of the New Testament describe this church that is always on the move, always going to new places. It's hard to imagine anyone in the Bible who is engaged with a serious drama with God, who has gone, undergone any sort of process of trans transformation, who wasn't in some way on the move. And the thing is, usually this does not involve a change in geography, but it always involves redrawing the interior map of the soul. So I don't know, I don't know what it is with you. Maybe earlier this week on Christmas Day, all, after all the presents were open, after all of the family had some downtime, you were just relaxing, just, just being with each other, and you had a moment to reflect, find that space of gratitude where a smile comes to your face and you realize, you know, things are good. We've got our challenges, but, but things are good. Life is beautiful. Health is good. It could be better maybe, but got this tight circle of friends who, who are like family. Kids are hitting their stride. You're killing at work. The market is looking surprisingly bullish. And you're in this moment and you're thinking, oh, is this what it's like? I've arrived. Is this what happens? And it just seems like everything slows down for a minute. And then it's gone. And then you find yourself chasing after the next moment. And that might be when Jesus says, it's time to get moving. One of the reasons I think we wax nostalgic about this time of year is because the pace at which change takes place in our lives seems to be speeding up. And as we're standing on this precipice of a new year, a lot of us are curious about what 2024 will bring. Who knows? 
But one thing is certain, it will bring a fair amount of change. You're going to have to let go of some cherished things. You're going to have to adjust to the new. You're going to have to make space for God to come along and interrupt your life. Because for all of our longing to capture eternity in a moment, none of us have arrived yet. We are still on the road. Now, some of these changes that we're going to face are unwanted and unavoidable. Uh, It is no secret I'm not looking forward to preaching in a church during an election season again. (laughs) Especially one like this one shaping up to be. And everything around you is going to try to pull you off of the road and lead you toward a different kingdom. Some are less challenging. But every change presents you with a choice. Peter, James, Andrew, and John, they all had to drop their nets to follow. Can you drop what you no longer can hold to follow Jesus on the road? That's the question for all of us. Will you learn more about what it means to be the, following the one who is both Savior and King? Will you take on the kinds of practices of the one that you are following so that you can be part of remaking this new world with him? Or will you stay put and try to mount a resistance to all of the change that's coming at you? Because those are really the only options you've got. Later on in the gospel, uh, the disciples try to explain just how much it is that they sacrificed in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus responds by telling them, you are not focused at all on where you're headed. You're only thinking about what you've left behind. And when they did try to think about it, they assumed that he was leading them toward Jerusalem, where he was going to establish his kingdom there that looked like every other kingdom. And Jerusalem was this place, you have to know, that it was way more than just a place on the map. The, the name Jerusalem itself means city of peace, the place where God's peace, where God's shalom comes about. It's the place of salvation. But it's also a place you can only ever understand at the end of the journey, even at the end of the Bible, where John has this vision of a new Jerusalem, where, where God's reign is clear, where all of creation is restored, where every sad thing is undone. Jerusalem becomes the symbol of our hope when earth and heaven meet, where striving cease, where every tear is dried, where all of our journeys are over and all things are at rest. It's the place of our deepest longings. It's also the place of God's deepest pain and God's deepest joy. Because in Jesus, the kingdom has come and those who follow him, they are on the road to that destination. And we only know with clarity at the end of the story so if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to keep letting go of all the things that hold us back. One of the favorite books that I read recently that has been sitting on my shelf for years, but I just hadn't got to, is called When God Interrupts by Craig Barnes, who was a, a mentor of mine. Um, and he, it's been kind of this companion all week, and he, reflecting on this passage, he writes this, it is impossible to follow Jesus and not be led away from something. That journey away from the former places and toward the new places is what converts us. Because we're walking with Jesus. And that's what's at the heart of of Jesus' call to his disciples. He he wants them to be clear-eyed about this kingdom that, that they are following him. 
He wants them to know what it is that they're going to have to lay down. That the mission that they're called to join will not be like what they are leaving behind. It's entirely new terrain. And so as you and I move through life, Jesus is going to ask us to surrender some of the things that we cling to, some of the things that are even maybe the most cherished things to us. Because those things become a weight that keep us from the adventure that he is calling us toward. For those who first heard Jesus' call, they just knew that they had to follow him. And it it didn't come through this cold-eyed rationality. It's quite an unreasonable thing to do, to just drop your, your work, your livelihood, and follow some guy you don't know. But it came in this moment of clarity. And that is the same call that greets you and me. And maybe you would say, I've never heard the call. But I wonder if that's true. See, because most every day we face the call to turn one way or another in life. You have a choice to make at school. You have a choice to make at work. You have a choice to make at home. And maybe it's a, a call to become more disciplined or more sacrificial. Maybe it's a call to take your faith more seriously or to dive into like life with others, to be in community. Maybe it's the call to join in a new practice of prayer and fasting as a way of offering yourself to God and being part of the renewal that he wants to birth in you. Or maybe we to enter into new neighborhoods in our city that are new to you, but you go because Jesus is already there. Whatever it is, if it's Jesus who's making the call, it's always a call first and foremost to follow him. He is not going to settle down in 2024. He is still calling disciples to drop their nets and get on the road. And friends, that's grace. Because the reality is that whatever it is that we're holding on to, that we don't surrender willingly, eventually we're going to have to leave that behind us anyway. Maybe not right away, but at the end of our story, all any of us can cling to is Jesus. And so the invitation to follow him is to let the end of the story interrupt your life right now. If he is the Savior, there is no other place that you will need to find life. Faith exists as much in the doing as in the believing. So if we're going to follow Jesus We have no choice but to follow him on the road, to join in his mission. And to trust that even if we don't know where it's heading, the future that he's calling us to is more beautiful, more joyful, has more meaning than anything that we can devise of on our own. Any of the dreams that we're going to have to abandon along the way. Because make no mistake, Jesus will invite you to drop the things that you have to leave behind. The things that keep you from moving ahead. Maybe you've been holding on to them for a long time. Maybe it's, you know, you're stuck and you feel like you're spinning your wheels trying to relive a past that you can never chase down. Maybe you feel like you're too old, too entrenched in your habits and whatever it is that you're doing. You feel like you've missed your chance along the way to do something new a long time ago. But just remember that the good news often breaks in in the Gospels, when Jesus is just going along the way. So friends, keep watch. 2024 might just be the best year ever. 